Hi, my name is Justin Kirkpatrick, and I'm a group leader here at Church in the Valley, and I've been asked to share a story. And the story I've been asked to share about is Deborah and Barack. Now, these days, people like to start stories in the middle and then kind of work their way backwards. I don't really like that too much. So I wanted to start this story in the beginning of the larger story that it's found in. So let's take a journey back. I mean, way back to the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything that was made was made. So if you've ever looked up at the stars in the sky, if you've ever seen the Milky Way on a dark night, somewhere where there's not a lot of light pollution, and you've ever wondered what's up there, here's some amazing numbers. When you look up at the night sky, you're looking up at our galaxy, the Milky Way, which God created. It's 100,000 light years long and 15,000 light years across. That distance is really difficult to comprehend. There are hundreds of billions of stars in just our galaxy alone. And our galaxy is one of hundreds of billions of galaxies. At least the one scientists can see. God made all of that. And then he zoomed in. And he zoomed in on just our galaxy. And then zoomed in even further on just our solar system. And in that solar system, he created a sun. A sun that would be a powerhouse for billions of years. They could power an entire solar system. And he made different planets. Some with rings, uh, some made out of gas, some made of solid, some that are so hot that they're almost molten. And then he made one planet. Just in the right spot. A tiny blue marble. And he put that planet just right. With the water, it's cool. It's not too hot. And it's not frozen. So there can be life there. And he created life. He created all kinds of plants that work with each other, that recycle the air. These aren't just plants. These are machines. Part of a huge system that cleanses itself. I mean... It's amazing. And he, and he created the, the, the oceans, and they're amazing too, with, with all kinds of circuits and self-cooling mechanisms. And, and he even created a moon for us so that all the asteroids that would hit the planet would instead mostly hit the moon. And it would stabilize the Earth's orbit. And, and he tilted the Earth so that we had seasons. And he made things that swam and things that flew and things that crawled on the ground. He made fruit that we could eat. 
And then he made Adam. And then, of course, Adam wasn't good for him to be alone. So he made her a helper suitable for Adam. Eve. And he made a tree so they could live forever. And he put it in the garden, tree of life. And all they had to do was eat of that tree and ignore the one other tree that he created. And they would have peace and prosperity. They would live in paradise. And there would be no war and there would be no disease and there would be no politics and 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 a world without all of the things that sort of caused us all kinds of problems today. Families that never got broken up. No parents would ever lose their children. And just amazing. An amazing place. Free of all the stuff. But that didn't happen because of him. You might know him as Lucifer, Satan, all these things. And before he came, this is what it tells us in the book of Genesis. That God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning. The sixth day. But we know he came. We know the enemy came and he tempted her. And she she did what she wasn't supposed to. And he followed her against God. And so God removed her and him from paradise. And uh And it didn't get better from there. Adam and Eve had a tough time. They had sons. And, uh, and they were parents. And, and it didn't go really well for them. One of their sons killed their other son. That's the first set of parents that this earth ever had. And that's a pretty rough outcome. And from there, it just went pretty, pretty bad. From Adam and Eve, the world became a really evil place. So evil, in fact, that, that he decided that it was too evil to move on. And he was going to destroy all of it. But then, there was Noah. And God decided to redeem mankind. Through Noah. And Noah built an ark and there was a flood and they all died. But, but he survived in his family. And, and they got to restart. And their restart could have led to paradise. But, but it didn't. And instead things got pretty rough again. So bad that, that languages were confused and, and people were separated and there was all kinds of division. And then God decided that he would show us what it means to be his. And so so he chose Abraham. 
Abraham was going to create a people. And he was going to give Abraham a land, a, a, a paradise that he could have. And he was going to redeem and show us what that redemption looks like through through the children of Abraham. And Abraham had several children. And those children went on to have children. And, and one of them, in fact, had 12 children. And there is the stories of his families. And those stories are tough stories. They're filled with some good things, but they're also filled with some things like rape and incest and, and, and people acting badly. Now, Abraham would have a grandson named Jacob. And Jacob would have 12 sons. And these 12 sons would have really big families. And they would actually become the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jacob, his 12 sons, 11 of them would actually end up turning on one of them and thinking and working on a plan to kill him. And then since they decided not to kill him, they took the second best option, which was to sell him into slavery. And he would go on to be a slave in Egypt, but he would become a kind of redeemer for his own brothers who sold him into slavery because he would become a slave in Egypt, but over a crazy story, and you've got to read that one, he would actually move from being a slave in prison and, and back to the, the, a, a low-level job for the king, and then finally he would become like second in command of Egypt. And he was so powerful that when there was a famine, he moved his brothers and the whole family over to Egypt. And that's how the Jews ended up in, in Egypt for a while. Then it was good because they, you know, they had a hookup. They had their brother. He forgave them and things were really well for a moment. But then there was a king who didn't know Joseph or the Israelites and the Israelites grew in number, and, and they became a problem. And so then they turned them into slaves in Egypt. And some of you know this story. It's a very popular story. But they basically were treated terribly. They, their own kids, the, the pharaoh, would kill, go on to kill the male children. The firstborn, he would kill the male children to stop them from growing too numerous. And mothers would watch as their babies drowned in front of them and they were beaten and treated terribly and and it was horrible and just when all hope seemed lost one of the babies would survive and, and become a and be raised in, in in Pharaoh's kingdom and you know you know him by Moses and, and he would come and he would lead them out of captivity and then they would actually be able to escape Egypt through a, another amazing story of redemption and Moses the redeemer would bring them out of Egypt and they would get stuck between a, a huge sea and an army and and God would split the sea in half and they would walk through on dry land and their bridge to freedom became the graveyard for their enemy I mean wow and then they would move towards the promised land They would start to get there. But then it went bad again. They didn't obey God. So they wandered, and a whole generation had to die out. And then they finally got the promised land. And they were led into it, 
And this is where our story begins. And this is God's story of redemption, which has a lot of arcs and a lot of stories within it. But it's an amazing story. Now, the angel of the Lord went up to Gilgal of Bosom. And this is after the, the, the tribes have come in and they've taken the land of paradise, sort of a, a back to Eden, if you would. And they're going back to the land filled with milk and honey. God's promises are coming true. And, and, and it feels like things are getting set right again, but they don't really fully obey. And now the angel of the Lord went up to Gilgal of Bosom and he said, I brought you out from Egypt and brought you into a land that I swore to give your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. And you shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you. But they shall become thorns in your side. And their gods shall be a snare to you. And so would begin many stories of redemption. Where the people of God disobey and they would turn away and they would choose what they wanted and follow after their own gods and then God would need to show them that they were actually enslaved again and so he would bring in another nation and they would be enslaved so that their hearts would be turned back to him and then he would bring along someone to call everybody back and to sort of save the day, a a redeemer of sorts, a judge. And the judge would bring them back to God. And our judge today is Deborah. And we're going to read a story about how Deborah helped bring them back to God. At this time, the Israelites were were under oppression again by one of the kings there they had gone astray and that king Jabin had oppressed them and and, and 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 Jabin had a pretty large military and he was taking advantage of them and they had little or no freedom and it was terrible it wasn't a good existence and there was a judge Deborah now we don't know if she always was a judge how she became a judge it doesn't tell us that in the story but we do know that how she judged, she would sit under a palm tree and people would come to her and they would ask her for help. Hey, help me navigate this. And she would tell them. And one of these days, um, she sent for someone named Barack. And apparently God had made it clear that Barack was going to do some awesome stuff. And so Barack came to her and she said to Barack, and this is in Judges chapter 4, she said, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor? taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali, one of the tribes, and the people of Zebulun, another one of the tribes, and I will draw out Sisera. Uh, Sisera was the commander of the army for Jabin. And I will, and the, and the general of Jabin's army to meet you by the river, Kishon, with his chariots and troops, and I will give him into your hand. And this gets interesting. This is where Barak, and you, when you think about the story, she says, I'm talking from God here. You've got to do this thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in. I'm in it to win it. Yeah, let me do it. But instead, Barak says something different. And he says, if you go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. He's scared or something. And this is, this is a really important point. 
God calls us to play a part of this amazing story that he's writing of redemption. But but for us to play our part in the story requires us to trust that God will play his. And so we have the story go on. And uh, he, he Barak says, he says, hey, if you'll go with me, then I'll go. Deborah says it's fine. And then she goes out and, and, and sends Barak out and goes with him. And they collect all the troops and they get everyone together. And when they've got all the troops together, this is what happens. God uh, draws out Sisera and he says in Judges chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river of Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. And so Deborah and Barak have gone out. The, the, the Barak has gone ahead and pulled together 10,000 men. And they go to this mountain area. And you can imagine a mountain, a mountain in the middle of a valley. And they've stationed up the troops there. And then the chariots come in. Now, sisters' chariots, these are tanks. These are, are no joke. And it's impossible to defeat them on a one-on-one. Imagine the speed. These things would have been the fastest things at that time. The fastest armored thing you can imagine. And they would have routed his men, moved through them like a knife through butter, like bullets through paper, and they would have killed everybody. And so all of those 10,000 men standing there are, are thinking about those stories of old and, and, and hoping that somehow God comes through. And, of course, God did. And Deborah said, Barak, because this is the time now up for this day which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go up before you? So Barak, he went down from the mount. So he's up on the mount of war with 10,000 men. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. They win. And part of the other story in chapter 5, it tells us that there was actually a storm, rain, and kind of put two and two together and those chariots didn't do so well in the mud. So here they are getting stuck in the mud and they're no good anymore and Barak can come down with those 10,000 men and kill all of the troops. Now this is great, but one problem. If you don't get the head and this is what we're going to see happens then you don't win. And so, because he come right back with more troops. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. So here's the leader who can get more troops, who can go back. And now he is gone in the wind. Now this is a key element. Barak didn't play his part fully. And it's really important. And it's, it's it helpful for me to understand. Because sometimes we just fail. Sometimes we drop the ball. God wants us to play our part and we don't do it. And that's not the end. God doesn't need us to play our part. Not sitting there ready to just, to just take us out because we didn't play our part. He doesn't need us. He can do it without us, but he wants us to because he loves us. 
And we'll see as we move in the story that God is able to play out the story of redemption without Barak. Then behold, Barak was pursuing Sisera, and Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. And so he went into her tent, and there lies Sisera, dead, with the tent peg in his temple. That's right. While Barak wasn't even there yet, Sisera had ran off to, to the camp. And in the camp, there he had found Jael. And he'd gone to her tent and asked her to hide him. Now imagine this. You are going about your business, your Jael. You're, you're, you're taking care of things. And maybe you're sweeping. I don't know what you're doing at that point, but you're doing something else. And the head of the army that you're fighting comes in and your first thought is, I got this. It's pretty amazing. So here's someone who's trusting the Lord, ready to take things into their hands. And he comes in, the leader comes in, get him settled, get him some milk. And you think to yourself, this is it. This is my opportunity. And boom. Jael gets a tin peg and a hammer, and the rest is history. Jael played the part in that story of redemption. And because of that, chapter 4 leads into chapter 5, which is a musical, and Jael plays a big part in that musical part, that poem that's written about this entire experience. God doesn't need us to play our part. But if, if we don't play our part, we miss out. God would move on. And through that line of people, and through those tribes and their children and their children's children and so on and so forth, would come one man named Jesus Christ. And Jesus would be the true redeemer. He would be the one all of the other ones were looking forward to. The one who could rescue ourselves from the real enemy within. The one who could give us the strength to battle our desire to go after other gods. And to disobey God. He's the one who would come and live in our heart. We could actually know God and be set free. And someday we'll exchange this life, this suffering, for a crown and be with Him in paradise. Because He is going to set things right. So today you have an opportunity. Here's a couple next steps you can take to play your part in the story of redemption. Number one, if you don't know what the story is, if you yourself have not experienced redemption, ask a pastor, a leader, a friend, what you can do to be redeemed. Find out who Jesus is and what he did. Get to know him. And follow him and make him Lord of your life so that you can be redeemed. Number two, Pray for God to show you 
your part in the story of redemption. Ask God every day, how can I help someone else become redeemed? How can I help someone else find the promised land and be set free from the sin in their life and find you as Lord and boss and Savior? Number three, think about playing your part by looking to join a service team here at Church in the Valley. The story of redemption is continuing, and we all get to have a part in it. As Jesus redeems us, and redeems us as a body, as a church, we have the opportunity to pull other people in and join our life-changing community and find redemption themselves. Let's pray. God, we just ask, Lord, that you would lead us not into temptation, but lead us to redemption. That you would forgive us our sins. Help us to help others find redemption as well. Give us wisdom. And help us to tell our story. And bring others to join us in our church as we all take part in the story of redemption. Thank you for redeeming us. And it's in your Son, the Redeemer's name. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.